That was The Hype by 21 Pilots, and before that, In a Spiral by Fantagram. You're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Card, right here at Otterbein in Westerville, Ohio. Right now, you just tuned in to Retrospection Radio. I'm your host, Noah. And I'm Nate. And today we're going to continue talking about movies. But before we do that, as always, the shameless plugs. Retrospection Radio, specifically Retrospection Radio Theater, is a radio theater. It's an audio drama in the uh, vein of Orson Welles or any of those old 20s and 30s audio dramas that we've discussed a little bit about on the show before. You can tune in once a month on the final day of every month to listen to the latest horror Currently, we're working on Season 4, and that'll be out for you soon. We're about halfway through editing it. As always, if you want to listen to this show again, we will be posting it on Saturday at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you're listening to this on Saturday at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, then you can listen to us live on 97.5 WOBN. The wild card. You can tune in with TuneIn or iHeartRadio and just catch us on there. We are live Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. Finally, we also have some handles out there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search up Retrospection Radio or Retrospection Radio Theater, and you should be able to find us on there. This show and this episode are available on any podcatcher or streaming service that you'd like. And streaming service, I mean, not Netflix, because we're not good enough to be on there yet. <laughs> not yet, but we will soon. And that's right. We're coming for you, Netflix. So uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about color in films. We're going to be using Coraline, and we're going to be using Sans... Suspiria. Suspiria, that's right. Now, we talked about Suspiria a little bit last week, uh, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more this week, especially the scene that we did talk about last week and why it might matter. So last week we focused on the way sound works in film, uh, the way music builds and kind of how it adds to suspense. This week we're going to be focusing a lot more on color. So the reason color is important in films is that it tends to foreshadow a lot of things. For instance, you know, you have your generic coloration stuff. Red means bad, blue means good, green is go, you know, yellow is kind of slow down, or maybe maybe they're kind of evil and bad. Same thing with orange, something like that. All those colors have their different meanings for archetypes of characters, and if you see a character in blue, generally they mean, like, good guy or protagonist or something pure about them. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing on the color red. Specifically what red might mean in the film. So, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, Nate, what do you think red means in film? Uh, to me, red is usually, like like you said, something that's like evil or like bad. It also is something that can like set a mood, like when the lighting conditions in a scene are red, usually that means something is going to happen or it means that there is something that is not particularly good in the area and you're supposed to feel like, ooh, this is not good because red kind of makes you psychologically feel kind of a sense of like urgency and like somewhat fight or flight, not 
really whereas blue is more calming and like relaxed and you think a lot whereas red you're more just like ah yeah i mean it's why you look at mcdonald's and you immediately go i need to fight it (laughs) (laughs) i need to fight the urge to get fatter no red also uh triggers those instincts of hunger which is why wendy's chick-fil-a mcdonald's all those places have red in there those those funny what a color can do to our brains what's it turns on in our senses but yes you are pretty correct on uh what red means specifically red in films tends to mean danger or basically violence uh, which falls in line with what you were explaining basically it's a good way to foreshadow uh, a lot depending on let's say Darth Vader for instance he is everything in Star Wars especially the original trilogy is very very cliche when it comes to colors you know black and red evil blue lightsaber green lightsaber good things I will say Luke Skywalker wearing black is a very interesting choice Um, but Princess Leia wearing white uh, I would say something along the lines of Luke Skywalker wearing black has to do with in that movie his soon to be connection to his father he becomes more angsty (laughs) yeah I don't know if I'd go with that yet because he's it's a new hope where he's angsty and like I want to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters (laughs) so he wears because everyone knows Star Wars uh, Luke Skywalker wears white which kind of symbolizes his purity he's not really realized oh there's a giant space wizard out there that wants to, you know, blow up Alderaan, which he does. Same thing with Princess Leia. Uh, keeps a bit of her purity, too, as in she's ignorant in that sense. Um, and then the second movie has him in pretty much his orange jumpsuit for most of the movie, which symbolizes the kind of anti-hero thing that's going on with him because he's not sure whether or not to, you know, join Vader or something like that. Then he finally makes the decision, no, no, I won't join you. No, I'm your father. No, no, it's not possible. It can't be true. And he gets his hand chopped off. Anyways, then we go to black, uh, black and green, which I think is an interesting coloration. But yes, genericness, black, red, red tends to mean violence and danger especially when it comes to a character like darth vader where red lightsaber you're like ah this is bad guy and this bad guy is now going to hurt people he's gonna do the hallway scene from rogue one yeah (laughs) the colors do a lot of work in movies they're kind of it's an easy way to kind of characterize someone without having to explain this person is bad yeah it Colors in movies are my favorite subject to talk about when it comes to movies. Like, I enjoy the cinematography, I love the sound, I love all that. But when it comes to the coloration of things, I really enjoy, like, how, for instance, anyone who's seen Lord of the Rings, Lothlorien is very green and vibrant, but there's still a pale, misty overcoat to the lens which makes it feel more angelic and unique and different it was a very interesting choice the green helped with you know establishing that they're elves they're part of the woods and they're good guys and then the vibrant white that's 
over everything, and even some of the shining that uh, Celebrimbor and gives it a more Galadriel. like ethereal quality to it. Exactly, and that's that's what Peter Jackson had envisioned envisioned with uh, Lorien. So, red back to danger and violence. Today we're going to be talking about two scenes, which you can find on YouTube if you'd like to pause at any point or go watch. We're going to be talking about Coraline, uh, specifically Coraline's scene where she's gone to the other world and she's with other YB and she meets the circus man, the Russian man on top, which now I realize the name of the character eludes me. Mr. Bobinski. Mr. Bobinski. Thank you. I was about to Google it. Yes, Mr. Bobinski. Other Mr. Bobinski. And then we're going to be talking about Suspiria, where the two main characters... Are they the two main characters, or is it just the one, and then she's a side character? Yeah, she's kind of like a supporting character. Okay. It's where, uh, in context of the movie, there is a scene where there are maggots falling out of the ceiling because there are like boxes of rotten food in the floor above them. So there's maggots falling on them, and so they all have to sleep in this gymnasium, and they set up these sheets to kind of cordon them off. And they're getting ready for bed, and uh, they're getting ready, and then they, and then all the lights go down, and it's like red. The whole scene is just bathed in this intense red light, and this, and the uh, directress of the school, the ballet school, it lays down in the curtain behind them, and you hear her snoring, and it's just very raspy, creepy breathing, like, and it's, and she's saying like, I hear this voice. It's like I know who that is. They say that they said the directress wasn't here. She is here. I had and she basically explains I had to sleep in the room near her room at one point and she heard that same snoring and they said, Oh yes, she sleeps in the room next to her and they're like talking about it and you just there's this intense, just eerie music with full of just like sighs and just this kind of hellscape kind of sound and then they're just like I hear it and it's just getting more and more intense it's like I hear these noises I know she's there she's right behind that curtain and it's just a really just kind of unnerving scene yeah while we're on the subject of Suspiria did I say that right yes yes okay (laughs) I just want to make sure like it when I say it I'm like that's the name and then I realize maybe it's not maybe I just got the area right anyways the scene starts off lighting wise very normal everyone's in the gymnasium the lights are all on all the girls are getting ready for bed there's a giant curtain and you can see a whole bunch of black shadows on the other side of the curtain which for me who's not seen the movie just makes me realize how the characters themselves see the teachers as shady or they don't really know much about the teachers because it's all blurred and well behind the curtain so it's a the beginning of the scene the first 10 15 seconds is very don't look at the man behind the curtain focus on the girls the main characters but don't look at everything that's going on behind the curtains which is naturally what i focused on was the curtains to see first off the curtains themselves are white which allows for light to pass through very easily and then you could see the shadows of the teacher so it, it makes me think just how little the characters know 
And you said at this point in the film, the main character's starting to piece things together, but not yeah, quite Yeah, she's there. like, because the teachers are just kind of very odd. Like, they're a little off. And, like, basically the whole movie, just the whole time she's been there, from the time she even pulled up to the school initially, is just been beset with just complete, just shady activity. Just, like, just weird things that go on like especially like you know the maggots falling out of the ceiling and like even when she pulls up she sees some girl running through the woods like away from the school and she's just like what happened what is that and she's like oh i don't know she just decided to leave or something and then like (laughs) they just kind of deny every weird thing that happens and so like basically yeah it's just and then at that point like i think that girl in context just like she also realized that this other girl is also suspicious of it. And then she's like, do you hear that snoring behind the curtain? Like, do you hear that breathing? And so like at this point, they're starting to kind of realize that stuff is going on essentially. So after about 15, 10, 15 seconds, the lights go out and it's darkness except for the curtains which still have the shadows of all the teachers and the beds, except now they're all red, like this very blood red. Actually, blood red for the movie. It's a little bit brighter color than blood actually is. Yeah. But it gives you that, and then the girls have a little bit of light on them, so that way you as the audience are still able to see, but they're relatively in darkness what this means, or at least the way I interpret this part of the movie, is first off, girls don't know anything, and when they start to figure stuff out about them, lights go off, and everyone's in darkness, as in they don't really understand what's happening with the teachers. It's all very metaphorical. Yeah. Movies are very metaphorical, and they help bring that sense of character unknowing or knowing of certain things so then it focuses a lot on the red and your eyes are immediately drawn to the shadows and the red curtains and then you see the directress the shadow of her wheeled on or she walks she walks over to her bed that's what it was to her bed and then lays down and then the camera's still in this relative angle I think it jumps around a little bit but the directress is just laying in bed and you can see her black shadow outlined in red. And then the camera goes to the two main characters who had fallen asleep for a little bit or were beginning to fall asleep. No, I think like one of them was like, are you asleep yet? Like, I think her name's uh, Sarah and Susie, I believe. And I think the main character's name's Susie. Uh, I might be wrong. Italian names. And she's like, Susie, are you asleep? It's like, no, no, I'm not. What's what's going on? It's like, do you hear that? And stuff, and goes into the whole thing where she knows that that's the directress behind the curtain right behind them. And uh, I think, like, to me, like, the red, it just kind of occurred to me, like, that at the beginning of the scene, um, like, one of the uh, teachers is like, we'll all sleep in the gymnasium together. It'll be perfectly safe. We'll all be together. But then the lights go out, and it's like, the red kind of gives you a sense that, like, yes, they're all together. They're all sleeping together and whatnot. But nobody's perfectly safe. But it's not safe because the directress is right behind the curtain, and she's a very, very shady person, and no one knows who she is. 
So is she the main, well, I wouldn't say she's the main antagonist, but is she the one pulling the strings in the film? Essentially, yes. Okay. That makes sense. That was really what the camera and the lighting was telling you, that oh, you should be afraid of this lady. It's like, I don't know who she is. No one's ever seen her, but I've heard her snoring in the other room. <laughs> and you know what's scarier than snores? And it's like, it's not even, she says it's snoring, but it's not even really snoring. It's like wheezing. It's like, <gasps> and it's like. And she sounds like she, a zombie as it opposed is, to. It is very disturbing. And the music does like adds to it because it's just like this, just very eerie sounding music. And it just gets more and more intense as the scene goes on. That music that was in the background, I see why you talked about it last week. Because it's so odd. It is. It's it, like nothing you've ever heard in any other movie. Yeah. I I really don't know how to describe it in such a way that would do it justice. Because it fits the scene so well. And I definitely feel like if I were to just take all the audio out of that scene and then throw in a different song, it would work, too. Like, it feels like it's what makes the movie unique, but also it feels like it's easily replaceable. In some ways. It's like, it's just the combination of the lighting and the the music that just really just gives it this just sinister, foreboding feeling about it, where you're just like, you're just kind of, slightly on edge all the time i think a good comparison that you made was calling it kind of like hellscape music yes it feels like something out of doom except without the you know epic metal part it's more it's just very it's very atmospheric and just very like just there's just all these sounds you hear like sighing and people going like ah and just like it just gets more and more and more intense, like yeah. builds. I feel like if I were, you know, down south, that would be the place, or that would, this would be the soundtrack of the underworld. It's so weird. But yes, coupled over with the red, it really feels like perhaps a bit of the nine levels hopped up onto this plane of existence. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of, If there's anything I can liken it to, I don't know how many people out there listen to Pink Floyd, but it kind of remi- it's very akin to the middle part of Echoes, where the music just kind of drops out and there's just this very atmospheric kind of like, ooh, and then like stuff like that. It's kind of like that, but it's just way stranger. So, anything else you'd like to add on the red in that scene? The red, the shadows, the characters themselves? Uh, not really other than it just kind of like the lighting in the movie is just very important to the mood like the the lighting pretty much directs like kind of is supposed to be like this is how you're supposed to feel right now but other than that I've I pretty much said all I needed to say yeah the red in to recap basically the red in the scene helps to set this future violence that might happen and the corruption the evil that's within the directress which have we seen up to this point in the film no yes so we still haven't seen her but we know she exists because she has a shadow i think it's one of the first i think it's one of the first times you see her i can't remember i did watch it like last week again 
but I can't remember if that's the point where like you first she is mentioned or like if you but that is the first time you see her even though it's her silhouette and you don't know what she looks like or really who she is for that matter other than that she's the directress and no one has seen her ambiguity and evilness <laughs> that's right it's the best kind so next we're going to go ahead and just segue on to Coraline which is one of my favorite childhood movies actually no, nah, I wouldn't say my favorite childhood movie, but yeah, definitely one of the favorites. It's one that stands out to me. I do remember when that movie came out, oh, and like yeah. it, when I first heard of it, I was like, "What is this movie?" And then I watched it, and I was like, "This is a very interesting film." The book is so interesting, and the fan theories that surround Coraline are so unique, very, very Lovecraftian in the yeah. films themselves, or in the theories themselves so basically the story is Coraline Jones our protagonist she's eight or nine maybe ten she's got blue hair and she and her family have just moved into a big house kind of like a manor house and isn't it kind of like a townhouse where there's like multiple people staying in different parts of the house you know what yeah because there's uh what are their names Spink Miss Spink and Miss Forcible are like in the basement and then they live in like the main part of the house and I think it's Mr. Bobinski there might be another person that lives there but if there is it slipped my mind so those are the characters that are there you've got the Joneses you've got the ladies in the basement and then you've got Mr. Mr. Bobinski in the ceiling area and YB is related to the ladies underground the ladies in the basement which is why his character shows up in the book he doesn't actually exist it's basically you go 20 pages or so and then she's in the other world the uh the other mother's place without without yb leading the way or interacting with Coraline because he doesn't exist that was a surprising addition to Coraline, but to me, the more I've watched it, the more I've read it, the more it's been a welcome one, simply because YB is kind of the audience in this sense. YB doesn't really do much. He just walks around and questions things, which allows Coraline to explain it since we Whereas, can't read Whereas, like, in the other world, like, other YB, I guess, is uh, he kind of helps her out and stuff like exactly. that throughout when she has to, when basically stuff goes sideways and she has to like get out of there or else she'll be trapped there and turned into a ghost. Yeah, so basically the whole point is she moves in, you got the two people in the basement, one person in the ceiling, and it's all split off. There's some old rooms, uh, the ladies in the basement stuff their dogs after their dogs have died. Yeah, and that they... is weird. There's like, they're lining the walls, just all these taxidermied, uh, what are they, Scottish Shepherds? Scottish Terriers. I was going to say, I think it's a Scottish Terrier. I don't know why I said Shepherds, but yeah, that, that part was very weird to me. And then you've got basically a failed circus man, Mr. Bobinski, who is the Russian. And he's got little mice that he tries to train. He's like, oh, I want them to go oompa, but they just won't do it. Exactly. <laughs> and he lives in the attic. And then the Joneses live on the first and second floor. 
And the ladies in the basement understand what's wrong with the house, or at least they have a bit of an understanding because they had three of them, and now there's two of them. So their sister went missing. So the theory is that the sister... Well, I'll get to that in just a second. Basically, Coraline is around one night. She's sleeping. She finds, as she was running around throughout the day, a door that has been plastered. So there's... Or, sorry, a doorway that has been plastered. So there's no door. It's just the doorway, and it looks like something would have been there. And I believe there's a very faint keyhole. So eventually... She's sleeping one night. She finds the key. The key is brought to her by rats. I'm sorry. The key is brought to her, and then she opens the door and goes off to the exact same world, except it's an other world in the sense of it's the house. It's like very – everything's brighter, and like in the real world, the garden is like dead, and everything's gray, but whereas she goes into the other world – Everything's colorful, the garden's in full, you know, it's a flourishing garden, there's flowers and all sorts of things everywhere, and it's just like, wow, this is like a really cool, nice place. Yeah, it's basically the comparison of real life versus fantasy, where you're like, okay, I'm going to go home, I'm going to write all this out, it's going to look so good, it's going to sound so good, I'm going to get my book done, all 300 pages tonight, and then you get home and you sit in front of the Word document and you go, oh... I don't even know what I want to write about. Or as a kid, you're so excited to go to like Chuck E. Cheese's or Magic Mountain, something like that. And you finally get there and you realize you don't have any friends with you. And well, you don't really have any games you can play by yourself as you go around. And you realize it's kind of that age, like 11 or 12 year old, where you still want to play with toys. You still want to do the stuff you did when you were younger. But now you're just losing your creativity versus when you were younger and still had that creativity so a lot of the theme of Coraline is basically understanding and accepting what you have so for instance her parents are really boring at least to her her mom is really caught up in work and has gone a lot and then her dad is the same way constantly caught up in I believe trying to write a book and he's just forever tired and there's nothing yeah he's like hunched over the computer and he's just like mindlessly typing away and like he's got bags under his eyes and stuff like that they look really sad and her parents aren't bad they're not mean to her they don't beat her they don't say anything bad to her it's just that they are so busy trying to keep the family afloat with money and affording things that they kind of forget that they have a daughter So Coraline has to make some of her own fun, and she basically wishes at one point in the movie, wow, I wish I had more fun parents. I wish they were better. I wish they cared about me. I wish I had better parents. I wish No, she's like, I think she says, if I remember correctly, she's like, I wish I had a different mom, and you're just like, ugh. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) She's like, that cuts deep, man. Like, don't say that about your mom. Well, Coraline has an underlying theme of neglect, basically leaving your child behind and forgetting about them because you're focusing so much on other things. So it's going to make your child go, well, I wish you weren't here, or I wish you were different, or I wish you were better because you don't notice me, and I just want your love. Which is where the antagonist comes in. 
yeah, she goes to the other world and like everyone's like, oh, Coraline, you're the best. And everyone's just like, yeah, he writes like his dad, the other dad writes like a whole song about her and like Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, they put on like a a whole play for like a whole musical show. And then we get to the part we're focusing on where she goes up to Mr. Bobinski's place with other YB who does not talk, whereas in the real world he talks a lot. Yes, Coraline had made a mention earlier that YB talked too much and he was kind of annoying, but she he was like the only friend right now, but she still didn't really like him. So Other Mother basically watches the real world and then makes a perfect world for Coraline to live in and stay forever. What is she really? She's the, the bell dam. That's what she is. The Other Mother? Yeah. Yes. Like that's like what she, that's her... I guess true true self yeah yeah Uh, what's really interesting in the book and I'll say this now there's a long passageway it's kind of like an esophagus as Coraline crawls through from the real world to the other world and it's mentioned in the book not in the movie both when she enters the first time and when she leaves the last time escaping the other mother it talks about the reason why the other mother never crosses that boundary or at least it hints to it and it basically says the other mother is in her little void her own little pocket and when she leaves that little pocket then there's something else bigger and badder than her living in that little not really the tunnel area but it's as if the world is connected as one giant body of a creature so it knows when she leaves and is able to like, take her or eat her or destroy her or whatever it is. That's interesting. I did read the book like long, long, long time ago. It's a very ago. short read. I do remember some of it. There's like some images from the book that I remember like very vividly because I thought they were just disturbing because like the book is way darker than the movie I remember. Oh, yeah. Like it is very, very like – what is so, the word it is very like just more downbeat i guess neil gaiman would tell this story to his daughters and Coraline is supposed to kind of represent his daughters and they said kind of like what happened with percy jackson where he would tell the story to the daughters and then both of them decided okay we're gonna go write the story down and Neil Gaiman, being the man that he is, added in those creepy elements and added in a lot of that stuff in this interesting world he created because he tends to do that very well. Same thing happened with Percy Jackson. So that's kind of how Coraline the book came around. The movie was very interesting. It was a lot of... A lot of people were contacted about making the movie, and it was almost made as an animated film which is interesting to think about and look at and I don't think it would be nearly as creepy if it were animated well it is animated it's stop motion well animated in the sense oh, of cartoon like, oh okay like a 2D animated movie or like a yes. 3D animated movie it would be either a 2D it probably have been a 2D animated movie for the time because they really didn't have the budget for 3D 
and 3D animation has gotten more popular in recent years than it was 10, 15 years ago when that happened. So then the director, which name is escaping me again. It's always the directors I forget. I can't remember either. He reached out and said, hey, you remember that Nightmare Before Christmas film? Well, I really oh, like the stop was motion it Tim for Burton? it. Oh, it wait, no. Tim oh, yeah, Burton, that's no. right. It was the uh, people think that Coraline was made by Tim Burton, but it wasn't. Exactly. It's because the director reached out to the same people who did all the stop motion for Nightmare Before Christmas and said, hey, I have this film I want to make, and I want it to be scary, and I feel like your brand work. of just exactly your uniqueness that you bring to the table will help this movie stand out and it really did it's it stood out as a child's horror so that's how that came to be the scene that we're focusing on is when Coraline is going around meeting the other versions of everyone after she's just met the regular ones the previous day and she walks into Mr. Bobinski's attic with YB. And as she enters, immediately, my eye, I don't know if everyone else is this way, we're drawn to a red ball on the left. Or sorry, not a red ball, a red box. One of the springy boxes, the jack-in-the-box. And it's got red stars, yellow, white, looks very circusy. And there's red cannons that shoot cotton candy that shoot cotton candy and then at the there's like a row of cannons and then at the end of the road there's this big top it's not like an actual big top it's like small like a miniature big top tent circus tent and it's like glowing red and it's like and like they're going toward it and these cannons are shooting out cotton candy and YB gets pelted by all of these cotton candies and so they go in the tent and uh, there's a whole, you know, little ring and stuff like that. And they sit down, and then these mice come out. Like, Mr. Bobinski's like, ah, welcome, you know, this is the show. And then all of the mice come out, and they do, like, a little circus dance. And they're actually, I didn't notice this until I rewatched it. Like, I was kind of, like, going through, like, the comments of the video, whatever, the clip. They said, like, oh, look, if you notice, like, the music they're dancing to is the oompa music that he wanted them to dance to, but yep. that he couldn't. And, like, so basically, it's just, like, everything that they said they couldn't do in the real world, they do. In the other world. In the other world. Exactly. It's, it's living up to that, oh, I wish this. Those wishes are coming true. I have the video pulled up. It's about a two-minute, 30-second clip. And the opening shot is very warm. There's a lot of lights, there's a lot of orange colors, and you can see red cannons, the red carnival, the red box, all these red things that are trying to warn you. Interestingly enough, I hadn't really thought about this before, but Coraline's pajamas are also red, and she only ever wears them at nighttime when she travels to the other world. And then true. she's always in her yellow raincoat and black or blue, something like that. So it's very interesting to look at the coloration to think, oh, she's fine and safe when she's in the real world. And then when she's asleep and she's got her pajamas on, they're red too. And then so she, 
then she goes into the other world with the pajamas and exactly she is in danger yep that's that is it sounds somewhat silly and it sounds very simple but yes that is how films work ah this character is wearing red okay why oh this just happened that makes sense danger <laughs> and it's like and when the mice start doing their uh, choreographed like little dance and stuff and like this big I guess uh, I don't know what I'd call it. I'd describe it as like kind of like a helter-skelter kind of thing where there's like a big kind of slidey thing that winds down this tower and uh, and all this and they're wearing these little circus uniforms the red circus uniforms with like hats and stuff and there's a lead my a lead mouse on a ball a red ball with a yellow star on it and he's like jumping on it and bouncing on it and he's rolling down and stuff and um, there and that ball makes it comes into play later in the movie I don't really want to spoil it even though the movie is like 10-15 years old I don't want to be that guy I've never seen it it's you, you gotta watch it but yeah it, it comes it's a very and it focuses on this ball it seems like like it's fixated on it and it's red and the mice are wearing red and like, everyone's wearing red. Everyone, Even Mr. Mobinski. His, yeah, uh, he has like a he has kind of like his ringleader uniform, and he comes out and he's like, ah, yes, it is I. You know, welcome to the show. It is me, Mr. Bobinski. And then all the mice they climb up into his uniform, like he he extends his hand, and the mice run up his hand and into his sleeve into his jacket, which is kind of weird to think about that is it's kind of an uncomfortable thought just having little <laughs> mice, mice scurry all over your body yeah no me gusta it's kind of like kind of reminds me of like willard or something like that with just all the well that's about rats but they're both rodents so i'm looking at some of the formations that the mice make you go from a circle or sorry you go from a star to a pinwheel looking thing to a whole bunch of different circles. All of them have this mouse that's jumping in the center, and the mouse jumps on a red ball. All of the mice are dressed in red, as you said. He jumps on a red ball, and the ball is the beat. That is the drum that you hear in the soundtrack. And then all the mice have little brass instruments that they play, because Mr. Bobinski in the real world had talked about you know, performing mice. So the tune that they play it's got a nice beat to it. I really love it. <laughs> Listening to it, it's like, oh, yeah, oompa, oompa, oompa. But the thing is, what makes the sound, going back to sound, what makes it so unsettling is that it's kind of high-pitched, and it feels very frantic, as if Yeah, like it kind of builds. Chased. Like it progressively gets more and more frantic, and like I said, like the big tower comes up, from the middle of the ring and he and the lead mouse on the ball is at the top and he starts going down and one by one all these like he's going really fast down this ramp that loop that uh wraps around the outer part of this tower and all the mice are jumping off one by one and he's getting faster and faster and like your perspective is like on the lead mouse and he's just going he's running and rolling down and all these mice are going it's getting faster and more frantic and it's just kind of like it is entertaining. It's a very cool scene. It's a very cool shot. And also, I forgot to mention, at the beginning, the mice all jump out, and they form her name, Coraline. They spell it out. Yes, and with their legs and their tails. With like, yeah, with their limbs and tails and stuff. And she's like, oh, look, that's my name. <laughs> hey, Mom, <laughs> that's me. Look, I'm on TV. 
just one of those little moments. So what's interesting about Bobinski, I was wrong about his costume, his uniform. It feels very Russian czar, very German, like First World War with... Yeah, it's like a it's, it's like a ringleader's uniform. Yeah, it, it's black. Uh, I believe he's got a black top hat, and then you can see this red undershirt underneath. It's very broad, very extravagant. There's some gold on it. In general, with him being blue, his skin color is kind of different. At one point, he bends down and he looks right at the camera. And he holds out his hand for Coraline and YB, uh, not really to take it, to, but just basically to boast and say, like, hey, look, did you like my show? And in this shot, he's looking, and he's smiling at the camera, but he's got blue skin, and he's got the black buttons as eyes. Basically, the concept is everyone in this other world has black button eyes sewn on to where their eyes would actually be. And then the eyes are the gateway to the soul, I believe is the phrase. And it, it takes this concept. The windows to the soul, I forgot. I had I thought that was it too, but I, I just randomly remembered it. Yeah. And the concept is that taking your eyes, the other mother can then basically have your soul. And the only thing that's left is your ghost. And she replaces, she like devours your soul or your body or something. And I think she like imprisons them. Cause like well, so she imprisons their, them, and their souls are left in one eye. So the whole game in the later half is to, is that the other mother hides the eyes in all the places that Coraline has met the older, or the other people the ladies in the bottom the ladies in top and then the garden or the lady the man up top and then the garden and she has to go find them and destroy them so that way the souls can be free so what's so unsettling about mr bobinski leaning down to look at the camera and hold out his hand is that his eyes aren't there so it really makes this expression, this greeting of like, hi, welcome to my carnival, a lot more menacing and malicious as opposed to happy and welcoming and joyful because you can't really see or feel what he is because you can't see in his eyes. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like, kind of reminds me of uh, like Cool Hand Luke. It's like the there's this character I don't think he has a name. They just call him the man with no eyes, and he wears these mirror-framed aviators, and you just never see his eyes. Like, there's even one scene he gets his glasses knocked off. You still don't see his eyes, so he's just this mysterious, just like, you don't mess with this guy, <laughs> and you don't know what he's thinking. Yeah, the the eyes are very important. So red in this scene, going back, going back a little bit, the red in this scene indicates danger. Not danger now, but a future danger. Coraline is in red. She's, it's basically for warning, hey, you're going to have trouble when you sleep next time. And then in this area, it's basically saying, by the way, this guy may seem like he's welcoming you, but he is still a construct of the other mother, and he will be used and be evil to try and get you. It's a false sense of security, this other world, to try and lure her in to, you know, 
to be devoured by the other mother. And the red in the scene helps tell the audience, this is fun, but... And I think, like, essentially, like, everyone in the in the other world is kind of like, it's like, I'm going to get you. Whether Whereas the dad, like, there's this piano, and it has these, these like, hands, hands these yeah. gloves that make him play the piano. And there's one scene where he's, like, attacking her in this it's like a it's like a tractor or something yeah he's mowing the garden yeah he, he, mo- he works gets the garden. into a grasshopper that's what it was it, no it's a mantis that's what it mantis. is. mantis and it's right. like a piece but it's like it's like a robotic mantis like it's like a tractor like a piece of farm equipment and he's like and the whole time this is happening he's chasing her with this he's like i'm sorry it's like mother made me do it and like he i don't want you and his face is all he's like yeah he's like disheveled. twisted whereas in the book i can't i can't remember i might be making this up this might be a false memory but i distinctly remember she like goes down into the basement and like the dad is just this shriveled husk of just flesh in like the corner and it's just like I, I don't know if there was an illustration in that part, but I remember like reading it and I was like, this is just messed up. Like I like I'd rather watch the movie where he's just like a pumpkin man. <laughs> like, it pumpkin was just, man. It was really dark. I think I don't know what he was supposed to be like a like like a I don't know like some sort of larva or something like that. I think it was supposed to be, but it was just very very disturbing. I remember. I would liken it to real dad being a shriveled shell of his former self. I never really thought of it like that. That is very good. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because both of those parents, first off, they are designed that way because it's supposed to keep Coraline and lure her into the trap, but it is literally everything she's ever wanted to have those types of parents, but I, I think it also shows a little bit of burnout parents might have i know i get it as a camp counselor when you're around kids all the time and you're trying to be great and happy and playing games all the time but then at the end of the day you're just like yeah never talk to me again i'm just like done for five hours or you know however long it takes me to sleep (laughs) yeah it's just like it's like come on it's like i'm (laughs) let me reset for tomorrow we're done here this is over i am out of batteries i must recharge (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting that at one point in the film the ghosts the ghost children mention that the other mother accidentally gave too much freedom to her creations because what happens is she is the living being and then she basically sews up these other creatures and pieces them together to create the people from the real world and then infuses them with life based on who they are in the real world and that's why the dad is screaming I'm sorry I don't want to do this in the movie at least because he was given too much freedom and at one point uh, the other mother puts a permanent smile on his face and it's some creepy stuff then you have YB who also has no voice well he's got no voice but he also still has that too much freedom so he's taken care of. He's destroyed. Well, I don't think he's destroyed. He's disheveled and pushed aside by... He's he's taken care of, as the mob would say. 
<laughs> yes, he's he's taken care of simply because he had too much freedom and was trying to warn Coraline and be like, ah, this is great, but don't forget she wants to swallow your soul. Or as, I want uh, to swallow your soul. <laughs> or as, yeah, or as, um, or as uh, Mr. Grady said in The Shining, she corrected him. Uh, that's right. She corrected him. <laughs> Going back to last week. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, we talked about Suspiria, The Shining, and The Thing. We talked about all sorts of stuff. Yum, yum. So Coraline is one of my favorite films. I've already said that, but I'll say it a million more times. It puts me in the mood to want to go home and watch it right now just simply <laughs> because, man, I just the imagery is so unique and different. And one thing I just thought of about it in the be- in the opening scene like during the credits is basically you just see these hands. You don't know whose hands they are. And they're making this doll. And it's like, you know, and it's a it's a perfect doll of Coraline as you find out. And then I think she finds it in the house and I believe this this is just my guesswork because it seems that she has done this before. She makes the doll to kind of as a way to watch the outside world and to be able to like, it's like, hmm, so we got parents, this mom looks like this, the dad looks like this, we got neighbors, they look like this, this is blah, blah, blah. All right, now I know what I'm going to do. And then she like makes it. So she's able to replicate this thing. She sees through the doll's eyes, which is why Coraline gets rid of it at one point. And that's how the rats, or sorry, the mice knew where to get her. By the way, the red on the mice signifies that. Well, they, they do. Were they do become rats later. So yep. you're not. You're not wrong to call them rats. The mice in the other world become the rats, which is what the red signifies, and the cat helps out with the rats. Yeah, I think the, the cat world. is one of the only things that isn't like an other. Like it doesn't have an other world equivalent of. Yes, him. because the other mother hates the cat. And the cat, like, helps her throughout the uh, the movie, and he talks in the other world, which is he has some witticisms for her. Hmm. <laughs> oh, well, the cat tries to warn her, too, and be like, hey, you know, maybe you should stay away from here. And she's like, well, this is so much fun. And even in the, the real world, even though he doesn't talk, he still, like, tries to warn her non-verbally. And I think uh, he does he does help her at some points in the yeah. real world, too. He does. He he is freely able to travel between both worlds, which is very, excuse me, it's very interesting, a concept. I guess, really, you needed that anyway, some being that's able to go back and forth, or else Coraline was going to be completely alone. She'd have no one to rely on. There's one part where, you know, he snaps up the rat uh he motions to things with his paws in the real world a lot of different things happen where he is there to be the mysterious stranger the benefactor that helps Coraline along the way that is true and uh oh what was I gonna say um and there's like parts where like where the other mother refers to the cat as like vermin. It's like, I hate this cat. Nah. Which is ironic. Because cons- she uses rats. Exactly. <laughs> like it, it's, it's very ironic in that sense that the rats are not seen as vermin. These things that are 
relatively despicable in our world. And she's like, nah, the cat is what's bad. And she also has a motif with, like, bugs. Like, she kind of, as she goes, as she progressively reveals her true form, like, all the furniture starts being shaped like bugs and, like, there's spider webs and stuff. And she gets spindlier and more, like, well, she is kind of a spider. And she has, like, needles. She has hands made out of sewing needles, which is... Like, at the beginning of the movie, you see these, like, hands made of needles just sewing up this little doll here and just whipping it up. And uh, then I think, like, she gets, quote-unquote, like, defeated, but her hand gets out. Yeah, her hand gets out, her and they've got to throw it down a well. starts crawling around. It kind of reminds me of, like, Thing from uh, the Adams Family movie. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's a little more sinister, whereas Thing is just awesome. So, in this sense, looking at the large, the grand picture, Coraline is a bug being led into a spider's trap and yeah. getting stuck. I can. It's kind of likened to uh, the book, The Spider and the Fly. It's like, oh, come on, Mr. Fly. <laughs> You'll be fine. Just come on over to my web. And see what happens. Whereas in this case, Coraline gets away. Whereas in the Spider and the Fly, I don't, I, don't, I haven't read it in a while, but I'm pretty sure that that fly does not get away. No. That is that is another good book that is really a good childhood book that I always enjoyed. It kind of has the same kind of dark motif to it. Whereas Coraline is just very, just even darker because it's Neil Gaiman. He's very, he's, he's very, very good at making dark stories. Yeah, one of the things that watching it as an adult a couple times now that really stands out to me, that never stood out to me as a kid, was just how innocent the parents are. They really don't deserve anything that happens to them. They get captured at one point. All these different things happen to them, and they're really just innocent people. They just don't realize that they're neglecting their daughter. And that's such a huge theme throughout the movie, this neglect and love, that it really never spoke out to me as a kid because you're so focused on, oh, the other world, wow, it's so vibrant, oh, maybe it's not so great. Even as a kid, I was like, I would like to stay in the other world, but only at the part where everyone likes me and yeah. not have to deal with giant spider lady. And having buttons sewed into my eyeballs. Yes, no bueno. That, that is, is a that is a zero out of ten on the want to do factor scale. It's like something out of Saw or something. Yeah, it's very strange for a children's story to be like. It feels very. Uh, whoever wrote Hansel and Gretel. Grimm, Grimm's fairy tales. Yes, the Grimm very, brothers. Yes, that's exactly what it was. I was gonna say Grim Dark, and then I'm like, well, that's a D and D thing, and then I just clicked in my head. I'm like. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's why that's why they call it a grim dark. Anyways, it, it's very grim dark in that sense of, oh, by the way, kiddo, you're gonna have your eyes it's like you're shut. going to be maimed in some way. Yeah, and, and that's not something you'd see in a modern fairy tale. No. So it's it's very interesting in that sense of it. It really draws inspiration from those old things, Hansel and Gretel. It is kind of weird that like fairy tales are just like an archetype for kids' movies, whereas like when they were originally written, like in their original form, they're just they're horror stories. Yeah, 
<laughs> they are they are legitimately scary stories to go back and actually read and they were supposed to be cautionary tales to children and I can understand scaring the children but nowadays looking at like Bob books or the giving tree something akin to those Mr. Frog and Mr. Toad or I don't know yeah Frog and Toad are yeah, friends exactly <laughs> that looking at Frog and Toad are friends and then looking at we're going to throw you in an oven and bake you, and then the witch is going to eat you, and you're going to die. Yeah, even, like, Hansel and Gretel is just, like, I mean, it's something, it's a story that, like, people tell to their kids and stuff, but it's, like, this is a deranged woman living in the woods trying to <laughs> literally consume children. <laughs> and even, like, I don't know if you've seen this, but Tim Burton, a long time ago, was one of the first things he ever made. I think it was on... Nickelodeon but he made a he made a Hansel and Gretel film and it's just very odd and I think for a while it was lost and then they found it but it's just very like it's just the most Tim Burton thing you could imagine <laughs> ah yes Tim Burton the most Tim Burton thing I can ever imagine it is very Tim Burton it's a lot of it is live action but there's brief little parts that are stop motion Interesting. Like, and it's just very like it's weird that it's something that was on Nickelodeon because it's very it's kind of disturbing like it's some of those old shows from even Disney Channel had a few weird things like you had witches of a Waverly Place and they had like the Halloween witch special and Halloween Town all those things but they have a few actual horror elements to them that as a kid I would find creepy like for instance Monster House Rewatching it now, not that great of a movie. Doesn't stand out at all. But oh, really? I love Monster you House. You love it? Yeah. I still love that movie. That movie is just funny. <laughs> I, I can understand that. As a kid, it legitimately scared me. It I, was it used to be scary, but like now it's like there's parts that are like like this is like there's very disturbing elements of Monster House. Like the fact that this dude was building this house with his wife and his wife got like trapped down into the concrete and he just left her there uh, yeah it's it does you're right I, I suppose it does have a few of those odd things yeah to like it. it's there's elements of it that are very disturbing like <laughs> the fact that the house is like literally alive and it has like anatomy like the windows are eyes it has like a throat and like a uvula yeah which makes I, it a girl house ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes one of the best lines in the movie <laughs> That poor pizza delivery boy. I don't remember what happens in that. If you get eaten by the house, are you just in the basement and die? Or I, you know, I know I don't know. I have to rewatch it. But like, there's just there's just so many good scenes in that movie. Like where they have to go to the pizza place and like I think it's a pizza place. And the guy that is voiced by John Heater, who plays Napoleon Dynamite, who's he was Napoleon Dynamite, and he's just like. Just like, oh, you got to do this, man, whatever. And he's just like, and he grabs like some candy out of his hands and he just chews on it and just runs away. <laughs> it feels very uh, Napoleon Dynamite, that scene. He's just, and he's just such a jerk. Like he kind of just messes with them. He's just like, oh, you got to do this, you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, maybe talking about it a little bit more, I, I still do have a small soft spot for it, though the animation is quite a bit dated. It reminds me of yeah, it's like Polar it, Express. It, it's yeah, it's like, but there is a lot of uh, 
I forget who made it. I think it was like Robert Zemeckis or something, which is really weird to think about because he's one of the guys that wrote Back to the Future, and like that's an amazing movie. Like the all like, but then he he had this phase where he just kept making these really weird motion capture movies. Like I think one of them was like Mars Needs Moms, and he wanted what a and, movie. And the one that really interests me was he wanted to make a remake of Yellow Submarine in that style, which is, and there's like, recently there's been different like animation tests and uh, animatics, like storyboards from it. And it just, and like concept art. And it's just so, it's just, it's weird like the blue meanies are just creepy and these creep like it's it's something that i'm kind of glad was never made because it's just kind of bad (laughs) (laughs) but not bad in a good way more of a bad in the bad way yeah like it'd be something where it's just like it's something that that's interesting to think about like if this thing existed but yeah it's not good but out of all those movies i'd say monster house is the best like the animation style is not ideal but for some reason for me it's the only one of those movies that he made where like i'm okay with it because it just <laughs> i'm glad you exist to a point it's like the the animation's not great but for some reason it just works for that one movie all the other ones it just no work very well. <laughs> i don't know why it's just like the character style it's like like mr nevercracker and stuff like that like it works because it's like i don't know why it's just something like but yeah, it is like there are times where the motion capture is just very awkward because it's motion capture and like motion capture just doesn't really work very well sometimes. Uh, they did a pretty good job in the Planet of the Apes series. That, that is came true. Out the past 10 years. But this is like, yeah, that's like more advanced. But I think this was like, obviously, it was probably like a lower budget. Yeah, but well. You know, I don't remember if Monster House actually came out in theaters, but I remember seeing it on Cartoon Network or something. I think it came out in theaters. I think that was one of the only one of those movies that came out in theaters. Maybe Mars Needs Moms. I don't know. Well, Mars Needs Moms came out in theaters. I did not see it in theaters, yeah. but I remember seeing I so s- many commercials. I saw it. a lot of trailers for that movie, yes. and I was like, why? I was like, what is this? This is weird. Exactly. What is this? <laughs> this is weird. And that's that's mars needs moms it's just there's really not much (laughs) of a point to it it's just kind of like why yeah it's like why would like why do you exist even the title it's like what like why why would you come up with that exactly (laughs) it definitely sparks that question of maybe i should watch this just to understand why mars needs moms and like i think about doing that and then i watch like clips of it like from people like talking about it and like they throw (laughs) a clip in there and i'm like Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> like, maybe I'll watch this. No, nah. But, like, I don't know how, like, I ended up watching Monster House out of all those movies. Like, it's just kind of a movie that you just, it's just like, yeah, Monster House. This is the movie. And, like, <laughs> we all, like, so many people just remember it. Like, there's so many, like, I still see people, like, post, like, it's so strange. Talk about it. And it's, like, so weird how, like, just a phenomenon that it has. Like it's so like out of all those movies, that was the one movie that just worked. Like it's it's Monster House, it's Coraline, it's a lot of those movies from like 2006 to 2010, our childhoods where it was just so odd. Like the first Jimmy Neutron movie where they yeah. kidnap <laughs> all the parents, and yeah. my dad told the me the other day, the chicken aliens, yeah, the chicken aliens and stuff. The other chicken dance, it's just 
so strange and it's on my to watch list again because I, I need to see if it lives up but it's oh, it, so it does I love it, Jimmy Neutron it's so weird and strange but my dad was telling me the other day I watched it so much as a kid I did too yeah. I watched that a lot there were a lot of movies I watched all the time like I remember like sometimes like my mom would bring him up. It's like, oh, you guys watched this movie to death. I think one of them was like Homeward Bound, like the one with like, the talking animals. <laughs> yeah. Like stuff like that. I think Babe was one of them. Labyrinth was probably one of those Labyrinth. Two. That's another I, one. Oh. Yeah, that's one of those movies. Like, I mean, that movie came out in like the 80s, but it's just like there's so many. I remember me and my brother were talking about because we just talk about random stuff. But we were talking <laughs> about like he asked me like what are some like horror like like scary scenes in like non-horror movies and I like all the ones that I could think of were just like Labyrinth like Labyrinth didn't traumatize me as a kid but there were parts that really creeped me out oh yeah that like, and the never ending story the never ending story like I don't know I had a, I had kind of a love hate relationship with that movie <laughs> like cause my brother watched it and like for a while I was like I don't really get it but like now I kind of like look back and I was like there's some pretty cool stuff in that movie as a kid you know, I haven't seen it since I was a kid I don't understand the whole never-ending story. I think it was the book just kept writing itself forever and ever. But I was so mad as a kid when we got to the ending and it ended. And I was like, this isn't a four-hour film or something. This is just like an hour and a half or it's whatever. Like, it's not an infinite movie. It just doesn't go on forever. Well, and it didn't make sense to me as a kid because I was one of those kids that when you played music, I always thought that the artist was actually like singing for me. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll stop listening to music right now just to give the artist a little bit of a break. He can go spend time with his family. <laughs> no. And it's like <laughs> it's not uh, how that works. It's like you think that like they all like you listen to this music. It's like you think they played it live, and then you learn later that this is just like a million overdubs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting the stuff that you think as a kid. Very strange some of the stuff that comes up as a kid. Yeah, and like even like in labyrinth like there's so many scenes that stand out to me it's just like just they they're creepy like there's one scene labyrinth. like where she gets oh. she goes down this hole and like it's like a well or something and there's just hands coming out of the walls yes. and they're grabbing her and they're like oh. and they're making like faces and stuff and they're talking and it's like it's kind of cool but it's like and you're like watching it's like what is this like this is horrifying it's like a nightmare there's all these hands coming out of the like just the idea of just disembodied hands coming out of a wall, like in a hole, just all around the walls, just like hundreds of hands. And it's just like, it just kind of makes me like shudder. It's just like, ugh. I, I can't remember a lot of scenes. I remember that scene. That scene made me scared. And there's and I, one that, well, I don't know what it is. It's like, I think they're called the cleaners. There's a scene where they're in this tunnel. And I think, I don't know what the, uh, the Goblin King's name is. He has a name. It's like Jarek or something like that. I don't know. Something. It starts with a J. But David Bowie's character, I think he... I don't know if he's in this scene, but he's basically like... But in any case, there's these people. I think they're called the Cleaners, and they have this weird drill thing that like... And it's coming toward them, and it's like got all these blades and crazy stuff coming out. And it's like, it's like, we got to get out of here. This thing's going to get us. And they get out of the way, and like it goes by like you see it from the side and there's just two guys like on a like it's just the drill front part and it's just two guys like on like bike pedals or whatever and they're just pedaling it along but it's just like just so many scenes they just got like suspense i think like even the part where the 
like we're at the showdown with the Goblin King. It's like an MC Escher painting, and he's like walking up and down stairs and yes. stuff. Yes. Oh, it's such a cool movie, but there's parts that are just so disturbing. Even the beginning where he like comes and takes the baby away. Like even that part is just. It's just like that's ugh. one of the only scenes I remember is him like standing Captain Morgan with like a foot on the window holding the baby in one hand and he's got his David Bowie hair and makeup yeah he's and got he's, the long hair and he's got like the tight pants and exactly the cape and, and stuff. he's like pointing at the main characters and I don't remember if he's singing or saying no something. he says stuff he doesn't sing at that part I think but then like it and then it's just like so tonally like kind of inconsistent but it's it's like it's a good movie like it's great it's labyrinth it's david bowie and then like later on he's like dancing and it's like you know it's like dance magic dance it's like <laughs> it's it's so strange it's, it's like such a strange movie hey mom david bowie just came into my room and stole our sister like for the longest time i thought david bowie just looked like that all the time and then like i got more into david bowie when i was older and i was like oh so he just didn't look like that all the time <laughs> Yes, not all the time, but he didn't a look good like, portion of it. He didn't look like the Goblin King all the time. In fact, he just was all sorts of things. I love David Bowie. I wish though. David Bowie just every single day of his life dressed like the Goblin King, ran around with <laughs> those skin-tight leather pants, and was just pointing at people. Kind of like got the cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like Michael Jackson, where he just takes the baby and you know holds it out the window a little bit, and then you remind it back. me of the babe. <laughs> He's got the funniest one of the funniest things that I learned about that movie was like he's contact juggling like he's got the uh, the glass like spheres and stuff like the Fushigis, I guess. And I found out recently that he wasn't that wasn't really his hand doing it because I guess he couldn't learn it in time. So they had a guy <laughs> literally they have a guy off screen like crouching behind David Bowie and he's like had a has a glove on and he has these just like, holding the hand up. Just holding his hand up with these like contact juggling these like glass balls and oh. stuff and it's just like I think there's pictures of him where just he's standing there with his hands at his side and he's got this dude like well, it's like the scene arm up. you just described where, you know, oh, no, big, scary drills, and then it's just nothing. Yeah. Same thing with David Bowie. <laughs> ah, big, scary, baby-holding man. Oh, it's just man with multiple arms because yeah. there's a line. There's a conga line of people standing behind David there's a, Bowie being there's all a, of his limbs. There's a disembodied man just off screen just doing <laughs> his, the contact juggling for him because he couldn't do it himself. Oh, that's a weird fact to know, but I'm glad I know it. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. I love it. I just, I love stuff like that. Like, it's just hilarious. That movie's just so good. And even, like, oh, what's another part? I think, I don't remember what happens, but I distinctly remember this part where she's in, like, a junkyard, and there's these people. They have, like, they're, like, hunchback people, and they just have huge piles of trash on their backs. Just junk. And, like, he, she finds like a replica of her room she's like oh look i'm home and then like i don't remember what happens but it's like i remember it being just kind of disturbing and i remember i was like i have to rewatch that movie that movie is just great hmm labyrinth disturbing <laughs> who knew yeah i don't remember what happens like not really much happens but there's like a lot of cool scenes in it. like even like the masquerade scene where david bowie's singing like as the world falls down or something like that and then after like it just descends into chaos such an odd film it, it I don't is. remember. It's one of the, the weirdest things that, that Jim Henson ever did. Like, I just watched that movie so much. Like, there's just things I remember. 
it's just like I remember it being a part of my childhood I definitely watched it a couple times mostly because as a kid I was like what is this yeah what's the point and I e- don't understand even later on I was like like I realized it's like oh it's a Jim Henson he's like the Muppets it's like <laughs> I see it and it's like how do you go from you know you know it's time to make the music it's time to light the lights to like David Bowie contact it's time jugg- to David Bowie it's like it's contact juggling with David Bowie and like these creepy twisted monsters but like I can kind of understand that because it kind of like stigmatized him was just like oh this thick Sesame Street and I think he just wanted to be like even like the Dark Crystal I haven't seen that movie all the way through but like it's a lot of disturbing stuff in that movie too Dark Crystal is an interesting one too Jim Henson he was known for the Muppets and you know, collaborating with Sesame Street. Uh, I think he created it first, but then he kind of like, and even like Fraggle Rock and stuff like that. Yeah. I do remember some of Fraggle Rock too. He wanted to not be stuck in children's entertainment. Yeah, he wanted to do like all sorts of stuff. He wanted to, like, I think even before he started doing the Muppet stuff, like with puppets, he made like these uh, just like art films. I think there's one, it's somewhere on YouTube, it's called Time Piece. And it's just like, it's kind of interesting. It's like this experimental film. Because I just, I love just short films and stuff. I remember yeah. like, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember in like my humanities class junior year, my teacher showed me this film called Why Man Creates. And it's just basically about the creative process. But it was like an industrial film for like something weird, like a sheet metal company or something like that. Like. <laughs> Like something that has nothing to do with it, but it's just this kind of deep philosophical. It's like, why do we create as humans? I don't think I took humanities. I don't remember. It was like a English class, like junior year, but it was a very weird. Oh, I did AP Lang junior year. Ah, oh, yeah. Yes, I languages or languages language. I do love me grammar. Yeah, but my teacher in that class. He was just such an interesting person. I liked him a lot because, like, there were things, like, that we really related on. And, like, I didn't really talk to, like, a lot. I didn't really talk to – I didn't really talk in high school because I was just a very introverted person. Yes. But (laughs) (laughs) – I can attest to this. But – well, I came alive after school because my – You did, but I I saw you during school. We may have had one class together or something, but generally throughout the hallways and stuff, I knew you were just – Quiet. Had my headphones and I listened to music all the time. Yes. And uh, but in any case, like I remember times like where there's one time I wore like a fish t-shirt to uh, in class and he that comes over he's like hey you know Trey Anastasio the he's the guitar player from Fish he's like he's coming on this uh, thing on NPR he's gonna play this show and I was like thanks man I'm gonna check it out <laughs> and then <laughs> I like appreciate that and weirdo. then we had to choose a book to read and I re- I chose uh fear and loathing in Las Vegas and like he would like tell me about like different scenes like there's like a project where I had to make like alternate book covers and he's like he's he's mentioning stuff like throughout like parts in the book I'm like yeah man like this yeah. guy's cool <laughs> I, I appreciate your understanding of the stuff that I like thank you teacher that's how you know you've got a good teacher is when you know you can walk up and be like ah have you ever heard of X? And everyone else in class is like, no. And teacher goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's and very, then talk about it. He was a it. very remarkable person because, like, I think people kind of, like, made fun of him. People didn't really understand him, but I was like, he was really, like, whenever someone would ask him something, before he would respond, he would pause, 
and you could tell that he was like formulating what his response is like he's calculating it's like he's just a very interesting guy like he he's very thought out how he says stuff and i remember at the beginning of every class this might give away who he is if there's anyone that that went to westerville central but he would always say at the beginning of class good afternoon scholars (laughs) (laughs) ah what a good way to begin hello intelligent people it's like I don't know. I feel like people didn't really take him seriously, but I thought he was always really cool. Like he was kind of, I mean, like he was an eccentric person, but I'm also an eccentric person. So I kind of saw him as like a kindred spirit in some ways. (laughs) Well, with that, we've been on for about an hour, 16 minutes. We're going to be hitting 17 here soon. So if you enjoyed the show, uh, you'll be able to listen to it Saturday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening to us. Nate, thank you again for coming out, as always. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I always have fun out here. Oh, that's right. You're great to talk to, and I like what you bring to the table. Oh, thanks. I like talking to you, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before it gets too lovey-dovey, uh, <laughs> you're listening to 97.5 WOBN, The Wild Guard. I have been Noah. And I have been Nate, and I always will be. <laughs> Please tune in to Retrospection Radio next week. And here we go. We're going to be listening to You're Too Shy, Let Me Know, The 1975, and The Fool by The Overcoats. See you later. Catch you on the flip side, everybody.